Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types who are looking to up their game. This is your podcast and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. Welcome to the show and you picked a good one to listen to uh, because today is a very first Mastercast episode. This year I'm focused in on bringing in people that are going to teach the audience uh, some actionable things that you can use in your everyday role as a creative director, as a creative. Uh, we want to learn some things, and I started off with the very best. Uh, on today's show, I have Ben Levy from Sell It Great. He's a pitch and presentation coach. He's also a creative director by trade who's worked at uh, such shops as Crispin Porter Bogowski, Strawberry Frog. He's also a teacher at the Miami Ad School, and today he's going to talk to us about how to do a better job pitching and how we may be pitching the wrong brief. So let's get into it with Ben Levy. Ben Levy. Sir. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I am great. I am very excited for today's conversation. I've been looking forward to it since we talked a, a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago. I'm, I'm so excited to, to you're, you're this, this is the inaugural Mastercast for Confessions <laughs> of a Creative Director. As I mentioned uh, on on LinkedIn, I'm kind of I want to move to a, a little bit more of a uh, a place where we're teaching some actionable things that, that you can get into. So you're the very first. You will go down in history as the very first Mastercast. I'm, I'm going to do my best to set the bar low for all those who may come after me. This is <laughs> this is very brave on your part. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, you're you're like the uh, you're like the Yoda. Of pitching, so I'm super excited to have you. And, and you know, I am um, very short. We're, <laughs> yes, and and you talk in you talk in riddles, but um, you we're both uh, we're both kind of on this mission, and I and I feel like I'm the universe is connecting me with all these people that are uh, of a similar mindset. We're trying to do our part to help the next generation uh, of creative directors, of creatives, art directors, creative people of all types, really, yeah, um, be more successful you know, do better work, et cetera. So um, I'm just glad that, that the universe connected us. And I think Dan Nelkin, who I've had the show, was was uh, responsible for connecting us. So Dan, good job, buddy. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I feel like I owe Dan a lot, as, as every writer in this industry does at this point. Yeah, he's such a great guy, and, and uh, uh, he's, just, he's just awesome, and he's doing such great things as well. I, 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 I threatened him, and I said, I'm going to have to have you back on um, to, um, you know, bring him back on to do a master cast for, uh, copywriting. So uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. So tell me about Celebrate great and, and, you know, how did that come to be? How did you realize that that was sort of your, your life's calling? Uh, tell us all about yeah. it. I, it looks like you started in 2019. So just before the, uh, pandemic, but tell us all about Celebrate. great. Yeah. It's a, it's a great time to start a new business right before the world shuts down. <laughs> I, I, I don't think my story is terribly unique. I was, my team and I were presenting at a scientific research facility. We did not realize that there was cosmic radiation in the air. Somebody had printed out the deck. I got a paper cut. And so I was given the proportional uh, speech and less importantly, strength of a keynote presentation. <laughs> no, no, sorry. That's Spider-Man. I got, I always mix these two. All right. I, <laughs> With no, great I, I power can't... comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yes, with great slides comes no reading of those slides. Yeah. I 
I got into this because I was awful at it. And, and I am concerned that people are going to be listening to me right now and going, Oh yeah, he was awful. He's just downplaying. No, no, I was awful. I believed that when I presented work to a client, if the work was like the art in a museum, my job was to be the security guard who stood to the side and said nothing unless somebody asked where the bathroom was. I didn't try to influence the client. I didn't have an opinion on the work. I was actively downplaying my role in showing creative ideas because I felt that that was how you knew what the good ideas were. They were the ones the clients picked. Mm. And at the time, my CD said to me, you could be a little more excited about the work. And I thought he meant talk louder. (laughs) So I presented like this for the next six months and I still didn't sell anything. It, (laughs) and it just sort of underlined how little I knew and how little at the time was out there. And I was lucky enough that I was surrounded by a couple of people who were very talented at presenting. Mm. And I realized I wanted what they had. And it was driving me crazy to see ideas that people would high five me for in the hall or that my, my ECD would say that this is gold and then they'd be dead on arrival. And I realized that was, that was me. That wasn't on the work. That was on me. So I spent a lot of time looking around, paying attention to what seemed to work, reading every book I could find. And it took me about five, six years before I felt like I really knew what I was doing when I walked in the room. And at that point, there was a a pivot for me because Mm -hmm. since I felt like I knew what I was doing, I kept getting asked to present. And I was literally being told, well, when you're in the room, we win. So you need to be in the room all the time. But I was also running a department and trying to teach other people how to be better writers and teach myself how to be a better writer and also occasionally sleep and eat, go to the bathroom. So this wasn't working. And out of sheer self-preservation, I grabbed a couple of coworkers and I tried to teach them everything I knew and it went pretty well. And so since that time I realized, Hey, this is something that I needed and wasn't out there. And I wish I had. Yeah. Now that I've developed this almost accidentally, let me share it with people. And, and so far the, the response has been fantastic. Tremendous, I would say. And tell us about sort of like, what is the gamut of, of services that you might offer? Because I think if I'm not mistaken, you, you can help an individual like me who will be signing up for your, for your courses, I'm sure. And you can also help, you know, teams and probably whole companies and whole agencies. And, but tell me sort of the gamut of, of services that, that you offer. Yeah. I generally work in one of two ways. There is the, okay. the coaching aspect, which is where I'm working with an individual or working with a couple of teams. And it's a set program over the course of 10 weeks. We meet once a week. Everybody gets a chance to present. I record it. You watch it, you hate watching it, but it's a really good education tool. So I make you do it anyway. And you get notes and feedback and there's all kinds of exercises. And I really break down the various elements of what goes into a good creative presentation. So that's yeah. story structure, but also the delivery, how you tell that story. And then the adaptability, what happens when everything goes off the rails and the, yeah. the client hates it and you have to survive. So that takes place in coaching. And then the other way that I can, help in a broader sense with agencies is I can do workshops where we'll focus on one of those elements and I'll come in 
and try and blow your mind and give you some some new thoughts and new philosophies around this thing we call pitching in the hopes that yeah. all of the best work gets made. And really, yeah. this, is, this is selfish on my part. I just want to get interrupted by better ads. And for that to happen, we need to be able to sell the best stuff we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, audience, if you're, you know, as you're listening here, I want you to understand this is a tremendous value. Now I sound like I'm doing an infomercial. You're getting a <laughs> tremendous value, uh, but you really are. I mean, you're, you're going to get this masterclass. It's, it's really uh, been giving us some tips and tricks. And so I want to turn it over to you. Tell us, Yoda, great Yoda of, of selling. Tell us what you're going to um, teach us today. Backwards like this, should I give the entire masterclass? I, it's, there is a lot. It's, it's incredible. Okay. You, you and I were talking about this previously that if, if you really stop and think about it, nobody made the current pitch process. We refined so many things in the agency, our, our media dollars or our concepting skills or how we get technology to work for us. We don't refine the pitch process. This is like a collection nope. of things we've just done over decades and it's turned into what we have today. And so to sit down and decide, well, where do you want to start can be a little daunting. But what yeah. I what I thought I'd talk about today is the fact that for the majority of creatives and the majority of agencies, we are pitching the wrong brief. Hmm. So there are two briefs okay. in every pitch. And the first okay. one, the first one we're all familiar with, this is the the document that strategy or planning hopefully gives you that has a problem and an audience and a, an insight. And you use this, you rinse and repeat until you get the concepts that you feel good about. This is what leads you to the idea. But right. if you're still focusing on that pitch, when you walk into the room to sell the idea or you log on to zoom to sell it, you're making a mistake. You're pitching the wrong brief. Mm, interesting. And so it's the, almost like a, it's almost like a, like a parallel brief or like a phantom brief, or it's some other, it's some other brief. That's not the exact one that you've been working towards. You got to shift it. That yes. what you mean? Yes. Okay. I refer to it as the invisible brief because the one we don't ah. see, but it's still there. So okay. the, the thing about the invisible brief, the reason that this exists and the reason it's so important is that no one anywhere has ever been asked to sell a product or service to the people who own it, hmm. right? I never get a brief from Coca-Cola that says, convince the CMO to buy more of their own product. That's never the brief. The brief is, can you raise desire among digitally savvy teens who spend 65% of their time on TikTok and are looking for a beverage that's going to excite their whatever. But right. then I take that idea that we have spent days and weeks and months building out that is specifically targeted and specifically designed to generate emotion in the, in the heart of a teen. And I show it to a room of probably white, probably 50, 60 something individuals who have disposable income, multiple cars, multiple homes, a 401k. Yeah. And they're going, yeah, I guess it's okay because right. they're not connecting with it. Right. We forget we have all of these, this knowledge institutionally about how to make a good ad. We know that these things should be concise. They should be emotional. They should be compelling. They should grab us from the beginning and not let go. Well, our, our pitch is an ad for the ads we want to run, but we ignore all of those things. Our pitches are never concise. 
they're not emotional. We don't even consider the emotion and the the heart of the people we're speaking to. I want we, you to. I want you to. I want to interrupt here. Um, please say say that one more time about the the pitch. Say it. Say it one more time and say it really slow because I'm 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 sort of slow. So the the pitch is right. a an ad campaign for our ad campaigns. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Right. That okay. we're there. We're trying to sell a, a campaign to the client, but that act in itself is selling. It's a thing that we should be excellent at. We're, we're yeah. masters of this. This is our craft. This is all we do. We get people to pay us money for it, which is a very ridiculous thing. And, and, but we ignore all of our strengths, all of the lessons we've learned in our careers when it's time to go in and sell the work. We think we have to be professional. We have to be buttoned up. We have to, to just tell the truth and the work will sell itself, which is right. exactly like when the client says to us, just talk about the products. And we say, no, you have to talk about the benefit. That's where yeah. the invisible brief comes in. The invisible brief is about keeping you on task for the client's motivation, for the emotions that they will feel that you need them to connect with in order right. to buy. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And why do you, why do you think that, why do you think that, that we struggle with that? Like why, why does all that stuff go out the, the window when it's time to pitch? We're, we, we pray at the altar of ideation and, and concepting. And I don't think that's wrong, right? If you don't have the idea, you have nothing. You have no reason to be in a pitch to begin with, but we, we also stop there. So we, we start with, how do you get a good idea? How do you find the, the insight? How do you dramatize it? And then we never think about, okay, there's this business part to it. Also we're, we're artists for money. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're artists for the economy. And so we can't just stop there. And I think oftentimes we are, it's, it's such a difficult thing to teach somebody how to concept, how to find a good idea, how to nurture a good right. idea, how to make an okay idea, a better idea. That takes years and years and years. And then all of a sudden you're a creative director and there's this other set of skills that nobody ever focused on because you spent your whole career just getting to this point. Right. It would be great if somebody wrote a book about this, you know, they could call it like, what's the big <laughs> idea. And it could, it could start to outline some of these things for you. Right. But I, I think this is, you know, you talked earlier about being uh, somewhat kindred spirits. And I think we're, we're both in that space of, your career up until a certain point is just the idea. And then once you hit that point, you now suddenly need to embody a whole bunch of skills that you've never had the chance to learn. And right. presentation is one of them. So I think, I think this is where it comes from that we focus on the idea. We believe the idea is everything. And as a result, we ignore the need to sell the idea. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the big misconceptions, right. Uh, of, of our business is and we hear it all the time the best idea wins you know the best idea will win and in a perfect world and maybe occasionally that that's true but to your point if if you're not presenting it in the right way and the audience that you're presenting it to which is typically you know the, these these very jaded very sort of like they've seen it all before uh, uh people are are going to tune out so then you go well this was a this was the this was an incredible idea. It was the best idea. Why didn't it, why didn't it go? It's like, well, 
you didn't spend the time that you needed to address the uh, the sort of the in- invisible brief. Yeah, we 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 believe the invisible brief is unnecessary. We believe that the that the client is going to recognize our brilliance. And yeah. there's a there's a couple of things wrong with that. Uh, one, the client is not the expert in the room. You are. Now, of course, they know their business better than you. They may even understand their audience better than you, but it doesn't mean that they know how to connect with them better than you. So that's right. that's one thing. And then the second mistake that, that comes with that is this idea that the, the client will recognize after only 45 minutes or an hour and a half in the room, the potential, the limitless potential that you have spent days and weeks and months thinking of. See, for us, when we walk in the room, it's obvious. We know how we, I've thought this through. This is brilliant. You, you just need a dancing banana and you are going to, your brand's going to explode overnight. And the client's like, I, I, no. Yeah. (laughs) This is, why did you bring this to me? Why did you think I would accept this? What do you mean this is brilliant? You've moved through 17 stages of thought around a dancing banana. They've, they've seen it for all of five minutes and you're going, what do you mean you don't like it? So right. this idea that the work will sell itself is, is patently false. It, they don't come to it the same way we do. And we do a very poor job of conveying the benefits to them. Again, we, we, yeah. we talk about what the work is, but not what it will do for them. And that's where the yeah. invisible brief will take you. Yeah. And, and, you know, people that have, that are listening that may have worked with me, you know, I've been guilty of this myself, right? Where it's like, it's, we just need to present the work and the idea is going to, you know, and I've since have come around to that, but it's, it's uh, what I have found in my experience is that obviously the, the pitch is typically much bigger than just the creative idea, right? There's some kind of, you know, business case, and there's some kind of strategy. And so there are other people involved. You as the creative person, you don't control that whole narrative. And that's part of the, that's part of the whole pitch, right? So what I've found oftentimes is we're getting, you know, it's getting close to the pitch and it's time to assemble the presentation. And then you get into this situation where it's like, everybody just drop in your stuff. Yeah. Everybody just drop in your thing. Right. And then we'll go. And then, there's no overarching story. There's no sort of flow to it. It's just like this and then this and then this. And then nobody's minding the story. And it's really hard if, if I'm being honest. And this is why, you know, we need, we need you and, and what you do is um, people don't want to, they don't, they don't want to listen. They don't, they, they think, um, you know, they think it's just like, we just have to show these things. It's like, it's a story. It's, you know, what, how are we going to, you know, convince them that this is the best solution. It's that's a hundred percent. Right. And I have actually my most popular workshop is about addressing that issue that we tend to work in silos and just drop stuff into the deck and okay, here's my part. And you can, I love when I'm looking at presentations, I amuse myself with, if the the presentation is bad by looking to see where that division is, where one person stopped building those slides and somebody else took it up because you can see right. the signs, you know, yeah. you know, the yeah. language has changed, the formatting's off. The, the It's a totally different thing. And right. you see the seams, but, but part of the struggle there is that 
we don't have a common story to, to write to, or to present right. to, like you're saying. And so right. putting that story together, it means that somebody has to put in that time and that effort and then sell other people on it. And that can be a, a Herculean task to add on to what you've been doing in the pitch already, which again is, yeah, is it, why I, one of the things I focus on. Yeah. And the other thing too, I think, um, and I don't want to, I know you're going to kind of get us, get us, get us into some, some things we need to think about to address that invisible brief. But I think the other thing that I found is letting go. And if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, right, it should probably be one or two people that are, that are um, deciding what that, what that story arc is and what that story is. And you have to relinquish control and say, that's probably not the way that I would, would pitch this, but you're in charge of this and this is the way you think it should be done. And you have to, you have to relinquish control, right? And you have to, and I think this is a problem. I mean, I'm going to, we can do a whole episode on this on just too many (laughs) people, too many people involved, right? In in these things or too many people having too much decision making power, right? It needs, in my opinion, it needs to come down to one, two, three people that are looking at it and saying, I hear what you're saying, but because of A, B, and C, we probably need to present it this way. Yeah. And you have to go, okay. And that's hard. And that's the, that's the reason that I do workshops. There are certain things that a workshop is never going to solve. If, if you say, um, in your presentation, we need to put in some work over time to, to build new verbal reflexes, a workshop. I can tell you what to do, but you're not gonna, you're not going to change overnight. But when you're talking about something like this, where people have modes of operating and there may be too many voices or too many cooks and nobody's calling that shot, that's where workshop is great because then I can come in and say, why don't you all get on this page? Right? I tell people there's four questions you need to answer in the pitch. And if that's, that's an easy thing to do. Okay. Well now everything in that pitch has to relate to one of those four questions. And if it doesn't get it out. Oh, okay. So this is how you can start crossing the, the department lines and saying, Hey, look, we're, I, I know what you're saying, but it doesn't answer these questions. It, it doesn't match or telling somebody, mm-hmm. look, I, I understand what you're saying. I was thinking we could answer it this way. Tell me why your answer is better. And now instead of it being purely based on opinion, you can have a conversation around it. Right. And, and to, to dive back, like you're saying, this could be a whole other thing. I'll keep myself <laughs> off that, off that tangent <laughs> to, to dive back to the invisible brief. The, the, biggest question that I prompt people with when it comes to the invisible brief is what is your client's motivation? Because with rare exception, the client doesn't care about the work for its own sake. They care about what the work can do for them. Hmm. There, there are a couple of clients who love the work for their own sake. And if you find those clients, never let them go and never let me know who they are because I will try to steal them from you. <laughs> <But> in most <laughs> cases, Clients, again, they're no different from the, the customers and the people that we try to convince and sway with our ads all the time. You, you want the benefit, not the product. What's in it for, what's in it for me, right? What's in, what's what's in it for me? And, right. and a way to, a shortcut to get to this is to assume that everybody is after money, power, or fame. So which of these three is your client, your decision maker, chasing? 
right? If they're yeah. after fame, this is the easiest thing. They, they want a lion or they want a line in, in Harvard business review or in fortune. Right. So you want to position the work then to show them, yes, it will do all of these things for your customers and it will increase your bottom line. But, it, but in the process, look at the attention it will garner you. Yeah. Imagine how, imagine this article getting written up about it in, in right. Wired magazine. Imagine us entering it in this category it can. So frame right. can be one of the easiest ones to, to solve for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm going to, you know, um, I always, I always mention this. It was a great headline in the, in the, in the onion many years ago where it's, where it was like guy who says he's devil's advocate is just asshole. <laughs> just an asshole. Yes. But I'm, yes. I'm going to play, I'm going to play the devil's advocate, right? And I, I'm somebody yeah. listening and they're like, what a cynical, what a cynical way to think about it. Right. So you're just going to go straight to the, uh, the CMOs sort of vanity or their, and, and you're just going to pitch it, you know, because they, you know, that they want to be famous. I think, no. The, so the goal is not to, well, here's what I'm, here's what I'm objecting to. I, I, I'm objecting, I'm objecting to somebody. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, this is totally fair. Challenge me all yeah. day. I'm objecting to, Anything you say like this makes you sound stupid. <laughs> so is that, is that the ideal quality, leading quality of a CMO? Possibly not. Is that the quality that a CMO will admit to having? Possibly not. But I am saying, yes, if your CMO yeah. talks to you, shows you work from can, says, why don't we have one of these ugly lion trophies? Right. Constantly brings up so-and-so who got quoted in this article or that one shows you right. articles from little black book and, and, and ad week. Yeah. Appeal to yeah. their vanity. Absolutely. I'm not telling you to do it for something that won't work for them. Correct. You should you, use this only for good, right? I don't, I don't want you to, right. again, I don't want you to sell the yes. bad ideas. I don't want you exactly. to sell the work for an award. If they mm -hmm. don't want, that's not their purpose and the work won't right. work. But if right. the work will work, what you need to do yeah. is convince them what's in it for and, them. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, I guess it's, you know, the ends justify the means, right? If you know that it's going to be successful and in the long term, who gives a shit if, if you have to kind of do this sort of, you know, mind trickery to, to get there, right? Because the, the ends will, will justify the means. And there's... Uh, that's one of the things that can be hard about this is I'll talk to people about various presentation techniques and they'll say, well, that I feel like I'm being manipulated. Right. And whether it's manipulation or persuasion, I believe is, is an issue of intent. Are you doing this because you believe it is the best thing or are you doing this because you're selfish and, and you're out to get whatever? And yeah. that's true in, in all of business and, and all of problem solving. When the plumber shows up and gives me three ways they can fix a pipe, one of those is going to be their choice. Right. I'm, I'm hoping it's their choice because it's the best solution for me. Right. <laughs> and if they, if they need to, to present it in a different way to help me understand that, okay, great. So if I tell you this thing is going to work and when it's done working, you will get to stand in front of microphones and talk about the fact that it worked. Yeah. You'll buy it by the same extension. If, if what they're, 
one of their motivating powers is, is one of their motivating factors is power. Then they're chasing a promotion. Well, this is going to work. And after it works, we're going to give you a deck showing last year's numbers and this year's numbers, and you're going to be able to prove the efficacy of this. So again, it's not, it's not about lying. It's about positioning the work in a way that emotionally connects with the person that you're talking to. And you're, and you're not going to get that information from the first brief, the visible one. That's something you have to sit and think about where, where is this person headed and how can I be an ally for them? How can I help them achieve that thing they want? Because ideally, if your work is, is going to be effective, it'll get them where they want to go, but show them how we assume, we assume again, because we've thought this thing through. Oh yeah, of course it's going to go viral. That means your stock's going to raise. That means you're going to get a raise, but they're not necessarily putting that together. So position it in this way. And, and one of the, the best examples of this, I think is when you talk about the motivation of money, I was talking about this with, one of my coaching clients and they were sharing a story with me about they were on production and they were doing dinner during production with the client and the client tells them that their, the client's annual bonus is what pays for their children to go to private school. It covers the tuition (laughs) for private school. Now the insanity of that, the insanity of that aside, (laughs) right. As I was talking about these motivating factors, this, this coaching client of mine said, so you just made me understand that whatever I present to that client cannot risk the annual bonus. So you can, you, you present something that you believe is absolutely going to be effective, but they've never done anything like it before. They're going to reject it because they have to protect this margin for their quality right. of life. They're worried about this amount of money. So again, you show them something you believe will work and you talk to them about how you're safe. I know this is different. I know you haven't seen this before, but I promise you, no matter what happens, our results at the end of the year are going to be the same, if not better. Yeah. And this is where we'll wind up. So normally we, we stop talking about the work when we've talked about what it will achieve for the consumer or for the audience we need to keep going just one step further and talk about what it's achieving for the people in the room that we're selling. to. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I'm just curious because I've always thought about this, right? It's like, um, is there some kind of pre-work that you literally do where you may say, and I'm just making shit up here, right? Yeah. Like you have a little, you, maybe you have a little brief, like my, my, current creative brief has a little box check box where you can check. Are we appealing to emotion? Are we appealing to logic? Are we appealing to um, credibility? Right. So I'm thinking, do you do any kind of work where you go? Okay. So uh, this client, we're going to go with fame. Uh, this client, we're going to go. I mean, is that, is, or is it just more kind of like, you know, sort of un- unspoken? I'm just curious. Yeah. Cause that seems think- like it would be a good idea. Yeah, before you go into it, right? It's like, okay, we're going to have a meeting. Key stakeholders are going to decide what's our, what's our angle here. Yeah. I think it can be made concrete at this point in, in my career. And after 
developing the program and, and using it for so many years, for me, it's almost second nature. As I'm answering some of these other questions, I know that I'm doing it through that lens of why does the client care of what does the client want out of this? What's that? What are the considerations of the invisible brief? But I think if you're just starting out, yes, making, making just a 15 minute kind of talk track for yourselves. Yeah. Hey, like yeah. throw the question out jeopardy style. What, what, what is this client's motivation? Money, power, fame. And, and argue for it for, again, don't, I don't want you to spend six hours trying to do this or hire a private investigator, but it shouldn't yeah. be that hard, right? Yeah. It's what do we, what do we think thereafter? And, and sometimes the clue can be in the brief that they give you about the actual work. Sometimes right. the clue comes from their career history. You can tell from the shops they were at and the work they've approved, what are the kinds of things that, that, that they have valued. Right. So, you know, always when I'm, I'm, teaching people new techniques, new ways of thinking, new frameworks. I'm trying to make it simpler. I'm not, I'm not looking to go, well, what you have to do is set aside a full week when right. you're done ideating to come up with this. this is never going to happen. So right. I don't want this to become an insane drawn out practice. Sometimes you have the answer because it's a client someone has a relationship with and you know what they care about. Sometimes right. they'll, they'll tell you. And other right. times you just, you have to take a little bit of a, of a leap and see what's going to connect with them. All right. All right. So if I, I think if I'm following correctly here, that's kind of like, uh, is that, is that step one is identifying this, this sort of motivation. And I assume there's, there may be some other steps to uh, addressing the invisible brief. Yeah. I think that's that step one. That first question to ask yourself is, is what's their motivation? Another prompt you can use, and, and I hesitate to call it step two. It's almost what's, what's going to lead you to the answer one, one or the other, or both. But the, the second step can be what is, what, what do they believe their cause is? So again, three things here. If, if the motivation is usually some variation on money, power, and fame, their, their driving purpose, their values are normally going to come from the, the customer, the company or themselves. What are, what are they doing this work for? Why do they have this job? Again, I'll, I'll give you some examples. If it's the customer, you're going to have a client who's constantly talking about, but will this, will this work? Will this get more of our shoes into the hands of the people who need them? Because I really believe in changing the, the way that people run and exercise. And we could literally lower diabetes nationally if more people got out, whatever, right? They're truly talking about it from a, an on the ground impact. Right. An example an example of the example, I, I once had a client for New Balance he had just joined the company for the previous 10 years. He'd been part of Nike and he left Nike because he felt that they'd lost their focus on running shoes. Mm. Okay. This person cares about who's putting these on their feet. Right. right. So if it's, if it's not the customer, but it's the company, these people are usually very easy to identify because they always wear the, the fleece with the company logo embroidered on it. And every, <laughs> every production, every meeting, they're always wearing it. They've got all the right. swag. Their car has the bumper sticker. Like they are so proud to be part of Apple or Airbnb or any one right. of these brands that is a, 
for them, this was the goal. This is where they wanted to be. They never want another job. And it's, it's the company, the company, the company. And so there, maybe what you're connecting things to is truly the brand and the company. They respect it almost to the level that we as creatives do. And then that third category, you get people who, this is a job. This, this just happens to be their job. Right. And, and this is when maybe the motivation you double down on, because that's where they're really focused is what, what I'm getting out of this and what I need for this, because right. the company is a company who falls in love with the company. That's ridiculous. And the people, yeah, it's great to help them, but I don't, I don't think this is a calling. I don't see myself as a missionary. So that's the, the second piece that you can use to balance. If you feel like I'm looking at what their motivation is from through this lens of, of money, power, fame, and I'm not really seeing it. Okay. Look at it through the lens of what, what are their values? Their motivating values. Is it, is it the consumer, the company or themselves? Yeah. And I mean, I guess, you know, as a, as a, a, a a true creative. I mean, I guess the, the gold standard would be somebody who really cares about the product and the people that they're serving. But, you know, the honest truth is that it's not, that's not always the case. I mean, you, you've described those, you've described the different types. And, and again, this is something that I think young creatives need to understand is that it's, you're dealing with human beings. You're not dealing with computers that will take in all that data and make a decision based on the best. These are human beings with, with, you know, motivations that you may or may not know with biases that you may or may not know about, right. It's, it's, you know, it's very, it's very nuanced and very uh, complex, you know, and I think, you know, this is something these, these two tools that you've just talked about are really helpful in like, it's going to help people kind of like determine, well, how are we going to tell this story? And that's really what it's about. It's, it's how are you telling that story? Because the story that most of us tell is just, this is the work I did. That's what our pitch usually is. It's just showing how the right. sausage got made. We, we just go through the right. steps and these were all the things I made. I put them on slides so you can see them. This is, this is the work I did. Which of the work are you most excited about? And yeah. that's, that's not going to give you the best rate of success. It is not going to give your best ideas, the best chance of getting made. It's, it's why the client goes with the safe one, the one that they can easily understand in their own mind. The one they did last time that, okay, I know exactly what that looks like and what's involved in it because they're not connecting emotionally They're You're trying to present it rationally and they're trying to take it in rationally, despite the fact that we try to make emotional work. So these things are about helping you find this is the invisible brief is just one way of helping you find the, the emotional connection and the way to frame that work so that they care about it as much as we do when we walk in the room, because it's, right. it's not about if, if the person for whom this is just a job was able with perfect accuracy to pick out the best idea from a lineup of three, I wouldn't need to do this coaching thing. <laughs> Right. 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 I trust them. I trust their call. I I trust their judgment. I would like to know how do people listening to this feel that they can 100% of the time trust the judgment of their clients. Right. Right. Cue crickets. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is why help them help them to recognize how this is, is valuable 
and do it if that means connecting it to them. That's that's how it's done. We yeah. we know that we the first step in any ad is make it relevant to the person who sees it. So that's right. really what this is about. What the invisible brief is about is finding and out I, the relevancy. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we hear the word like make an emotional connection, we immediately think of like it made you know it made me happy or made me sad or but there are these other emotions right that 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 I, I, I think they're emotions but just like you said right it's like uh, maybe it's not technically an emotion but it's like well they have some kind of they want to be famous that's an, yeah. an emotion in itself right or they want to be powerful but we often think of anytime somebody says make an emotional connection you think of like Oh well, I'm going to make them cry, or I'm going to make them laugh. But it, there's it, there's other ways to think about it. Yeah, and, and what's going to make them cry or laugh? Is, yeah, that is, too. Is, of is the other piece, I mean, right? So yeah. these can these can these can be the motivating factors for that. It's yeah. it's funny that we spend so much time focusing on feelings, and then, like you say, to to walk into a room and almost strip them of ourselves because we think, well, I, I want them to smile during this script or I, I, I want them to feel sad during this one and then happy at the end of it. But there is also, can you make them feel safe? Can you make right. them trust? Can you make them trust you? Can, can you, you make you... them, make, can you make them, make them feel safe that they're not going to lose their bonus that pays for their kids uh, <laughs> tuition? Oh, right. Or, or right? that you, or that you are the, the partner they want to work with if something right. goes wrong. Right. Right. I mean, I've very recently, I had a client who said the feedback from the pitch that we lost was they liked our work better, but they're going with the other team because they liked them better, the other agency. And it's like, well, that, okay. Yeah. We got to, we got to work on this then. <laughs> the feelings were not there. Right. But that is like you were saying, it comes down to people. What is yeah. the, what are the feelings of those people across the table or through the camera that you're talking to? What, right. what do you want them to, to be thinking when they leave the meeting? Yeah. I'll share a story too, just for, for additional illustration. You know, we once lost a pitch to a, to a big uh, beer brand, one of the, one of the big ones. And the feedback that we got back from them was that they really loved our ideas they, they really loved our ideas more than some of the other agencies, but we weren't able to articulate how we got to those ideas. Meaning we, we didn't do a good job of setting it up or, or talking about the strategy. We landed on good ideas, but they didn't feel now, as you're saying it now, it's clicking in my mind. They didn't feel safe. They didn't feel safe that we were going to, that it was a rep, um, that we could replicate those results in the future. Like they were probably like, right. well, they just got lucky, I guess. And yeah. I love those ideas, but well, would they be able to replicate that? And so we didn't, you know, as you say now, it's like, we probably didn't make them feel safe. And it's funny you say that. Here's a bonus tip, everybody. So here's another thing that I will, will often tell people <clears throat> on that, on that point, which is I think case studies can be incredibly valuable tools in a pitch they're almost always used wrong. You want to use the case study to prove like you were just saying that you're not a fluke. So if you present something mm. insane to a client and, and insane is a subjective term, 
But for this client, they're looking at you like you have three heads now. How could you possibly expect us to approve this? You then follow it up with one to three case studies of times you did something equally insane for previous clients and the success they got from it. Because now what you've done is you've shown a pattern of behavior. Oh yeah, these guys are crazy, but they're crazy like a fox. Yeah. They're not asking us to take a risk because they got bored of the stuff they were thinking of. They ask everyone to take a risk and it works. So again, generating trust, building those emotions. What are the things that you can do to show people, Hey, this is, this is okay. (laughs) You, I'm telling you that this is what's going to lead you to the thing that you desire and you don't have to be scared of it because we, we do this kind of stuff all the time. That's awesome. All right. What else? Get what else? Come on, give us, give us, give us some more. I'm like, I'm like trying to extract every every ounce of. Well, let me let me keep put me, you, keep me, me on here. I'll just keep going. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me let me put you on the let me put you on the on the not on the spot, but let me. I love it. If Go you for can it. And, and you know if you can because obviously we don't want to give away the store for free. But tell me tell me some things that you might do if you're pitching an idea to. Uh, I'll just pick. I'll just pick one of the the archetypes here. Um, Let's say, let's just go with fame because that one's fun. Mm -hmm. So what might be some ways, you know, that you might start to set that up? You know, if you're coming in, what might be the first thing you do in in the pitch? Or I don't know, give give me a little play here with me a little bit. Sure. So if somebody's focused on fame, I would start by poking at their ego a little bit. And this can okay. happen in a couple of different ways. There was a, a campaign. Here's where I'm going to get myself in trouble because I have no idea if this is how they sold it or not. But in my head, this is how it went. Rethink did a, a campaign where they asked people to tag every image or moment on, on screen that Heinz Ketchup showed up on IMDb. Okay. Right. How do you get a client to approve that? That's weird. How's that going to make any difference in the store? Assuming that, that raising awareness like this was important, I would probably open that and say, don't you think it's a little ridiculous that your brand has been around as long as Coca-Cola, but they're the ones that are considered an international icon? What if we had a way to remind people of the length of time you've been on the shelf or on the table? And at the same time, raise your status to that of a celebrity, almost literally. So now I've, I've put them in a a mindset of, well, shit. Yeah, I do want that. That's ridiculous. Right. I work for, I work for this company. This is, we have been on tables almost as long as soda. What is this about? Where's, where's my cut? Where's my start on the walk of fame? Right. And then you can present that work. And you can talk about all the things it will do. There was great audience engagement and, and they, they basically broke IMDB with it. It was then, then recovered from that on Twitter. It was fantastic. The, the, the result of that at the end though, when you're talking about motivation, when you bring that back and, and assuming again, it's fame, you show that we're talking about your brand literally having a presence next to the stars of screen. When, when somebody brings up Seinfeld, you're tagged in it. 
when somebody brings up the 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 MacGuffin in in what's the Tarantino movie with a briefcase now that I'm totally blanking on the name of? Oh, That's uh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Thank Fiction. you. Yeah. When when they open the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, you're right next to it on the table in the diner, right? All of these moments, you're going to be right there. People will absolutely be talking about you. You can imagine the conversations that will take place. We will prep you with the the PR opportunities, right? You're, you're going to get covered not just in in food and beverage monthly. You're going to get covered in in us as they start talking about the newest star. And by presenting it in this way, you're now able to talk about an idea that you feel strongly is going to be successful in a way that they're emotionally invested in. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is what I want now. I want that level of fame for my brand. I deserve it. We deserve it. Right. Right. And then depending, obviously, on any number of factors like how much time you might have in the room or, again more information about what the what the client gravitates towards, right? Because some clients want a lot of data, right? So that yep. might might say after you do that beautiful setup, you might go into and here's what we're we're likely gonna see and you start to give some. Or there's some clients that are like I, you know, I have a team that's gonna deal with that. I don't want all the details. I just want I, I love it. I'm gonna buy it just after you told me that. Right. Right. But but so you then have to determine like I love starting out that way, but then you have to determine, you know, the, the what else you're going to put in there in the presentation before you, you try to, to close it up. Is that, would yeah. that be accurate? Yeah. And I think that there's, I'm, I'm doing this extremely shorthand because I assume nobody wants to listen to me imaginary, my imaginary pitch for an hour, but no, I love the, it. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, it's a constant question for yourself again of how, what belongs here and what doesn't do those numbers help me? Do they tell the story I need them to tell? If not, get rid of them. Or do I need all the numbers? Is there just one that I can use to set the stage? And maybe I keep the rest in the appendix. People are always surprised. Right. I don't hate the appendix. I have a great amount of love for the appendix. You put everything you want in there. Everything. Don't show it to them unless they ask, but you, you can have a, a 200 slide deck as long as the actual presentation is only 12 of them. Right. I don't care about the rest. So yeah. you can, you can have some of those things in the back burner and tell a more emotional or a more data driven story, depending on how you feel things to be going in the room. Absolutely. Yeah. And so kind of going back to something that you touched on at the very beginning, um, once you've answered some of these questions, right, it's then you're taking those answers and then crafting those. Uh, if I, if I'm thinking about this correctly, crafting those three or four questions or prompts or, or constraints or whatever you want to call them. Right. That now as you're getting everybody involved, they have to answer, they have to make sure that they're answering that or that their, their stuff resonates with those prompts or whatever, before they start jamming their slides in there. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. I think anytime you feel that you can accurately use the phrase jamming their slides, <laughs> you're probably on the wrong path. It's for me, it's, it's always about reduction. Again, I, I, I think sure. about this and I coach about it and talk about it in the way that I talk about good work because we all know what good work is and, and so many of the same rules apply. So sure, put it all together like you do in a rough edit 
and then start seeing where can you slice for time? What, right. what, what is a redundant statement? What do you not need because another piece is working harder or working better? Right. So I think when those things start to come together, yeah, you're going to have a, a, a moment where you have to say, okay, I don't think we need this. Or I think right. the argument is made here and, and we can move on. But having but what, a, but what having I'm a saying story. Is, yeah, go ahead. No, what I, what, I, what I was saying was that a lot of that work should be done even before they start doing that, right? Because you've kind of assembled this yes. star, this like, yes. if, it's not, if it's not answering these, you know, these four things or it's not doing A, B, or C, it shouldn't even be in there. Yeah. So you should already, because again, being, you know, being re- realistic as to the way that, that agencies work, right? You don't always have a ton of time. Many people are working on it. So I love that idea that, that you shared where it's like, okay, here are the four questions. If it's not, if your slides are not answering this, they shouldn't even be in there in the first place. And then you get to what you're talking about, which is just the, the volume, right? It's like, okay, condense yeah. this. We don't need this, right? But it should, all that stuff that they put in there in the first place, it should, it should belong there or it should be there for this first pass. It, it should belong there. It should be there for the first pass. I, I went immediately to cutting down because yeah. the first time anybody tries to put this into practice, we start telling all these stories about why we absolutely need everything that we've always put in there before. Well, of course this answers that thing. No, it doesn't right. <laughs> get that out of here. You don't need that. So it's, it's, it is a little bit of, of practice and discovering, Oh wow. I, I didn't need to spend 12 set of slides before I got to the brief. In fact, I didn't need a right. brief at all. We covered that in the last three meetings. I just get straight to the work or we don't need the case studies. They, they already picked us. We're just here to talk about the brief and the strategy. Let's just dive into it. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Why, why isn't there just at every agency, there's a, there's a Ben there who, who does nothing but this, right? Why, why not? Why not just do that? It's expensive and we have margins, <laughs> but, but do you think that think, that's the only, there's, there's gotta be well, some I think, other reasons, right? No, I, there's, there's more to it than that. I think it goes back to what we started talking about in the beginning of this is not, this is not a, an intentional process. No one's ever really thought of it. No one's ever really thought, should you have one person there who's putting, putting the stuff together? I would argue you actually shouldn't because I want the people putting together the presentation to be as close to the work as possible. I want them to be the ones who are actually going to be presenting it to the client if possible. Yeah. And so for that reason, I think they shouldn't have a Ben, but they should perhaps talk to a Ben or someone else whose name is not Ben that can teach the individuals involved how to do these things. And, and again, it's, it's our, It's our myopic focus on the idea, which serves us well 90% of the time, but it's that last 10% where it's do or die and it never gets made. So I think putting a little bit of time into that is, is what will allow you to reap the rewards, start making the kind of work you want to make, start getting the kind of clients you want to have, and also save, save time and, and anguish during this process. Because again, it's a, it's a jumble of just whatever people have been doing. <laughs> no one has come in and looked at it from the outside. And it wasn't until I really tried to look at it from the outside that I realized just how insane some of these things are that we do. 
So that's the, for me, that's the future that I'd like to see is one where agencies may not invest in a single individual who is responsible for telling these stories, but they invest in the training so that the people involved know how to do this, can do it in less time and can do it with a, a high degree of success. I, I am not upset if an idea doesn't get picked and I feel like I did everything I could to present it well, but I'm still haunted by things that I didn't present well that died Yeah, like 15 years ago. And I'll still be, Oh man, that one would have been cool. Or somebody goes ahead and makes it five years later, somebody else. Yeah. Those, those keep me up at night. Um, I have one, I have one more question for you and then, and then uh, we can start to wrap things up, but please, how do you, you know, many, many agencies have long-term clients, right? And how do you keep, how do you keep that energy up and that, and that um, really thoughtful approach for, for, you know, for years, right? When, especially when, as we all know, you pitch tons of stuff throughout the year, maybe one or two things are going to get done because that's just the nature of budgets and, you know, yeah. how much they can literally do. Right. So how do you keep that energy up and that thoughtfulness and that like, guys, I know we're, this is the 10th time we're pitching new ideas for this thing, but we got to follow the, we got to follow the process here. we got to do the steps. we got to really think of how do you, how do you maintain that energy? And I, and it's okay if you don't have an answer because I, I think just, it- I, I just, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a great question. It's one that depends a little bit on the circumstances. If you're, if, if you've been denied a solution, denied the ability to move forward nine times already, then I think, well, I'm, I'm talking to my team about the brief and I'm talking to strategy about the brief and I'm talking to the client about what their goals are so that I feel like this 10th time is going to be different. Frankly, I was doing that after the second time, but that's, yeah. that's where I think the answer lies is, is in making everyone feel that we do have a different approach this time. And so things will go differently. And so let's, let's approach it like the first time. If it's just that sort of that grind you're presenting all the time, they're only going to do so many things like you described. Then I think that that is again about finding the opportunity and remembering to be excited about it. You, you should be excited about the stuff you're presenting. Yeah. This, yeah. Is that your dog? That's my, that's my <laughs> dog snoring some, in the background. That is what it sounds like some, when you're not excited. Uh, he, he sounded like, I thought maybe he was like commenting or, or like giving you some, giving you some, uh, some, uh, you know, positive feedback there. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I got feedback of some kind. She was, <laughs> she was out of the office. She pushed her way in and then fell asleep and started demonstrating sleep apnea. So yeah. that, that is the, that's the key. I think we forget. And and in times of stress, everyone does myself included. We forget what our jobs are. This is insane that we get to do this. This, this yeah. is nuts. I, I once pitched it an is. idea of a, of a wombat wearing a jetpack. Like I got paid to think of that and then paid to, to, to talk about how we would execute it. And they didn't buy it, but, but I still got, that's my job. That's crazy. How are you unhappy right now? Don't answer that. I yeah. can hope with all the reasons why, but, but I think just sometimes we need to take a step back and remind ourselves that we're still excited about this stuff that we're doing. And if you're not, that's what the time should go to. 
not how to convince the client to be excited about the thing you're not excited about, but to figure out why you aren't. And because once yeah. you get to, once you get to that, it, everything else is easier. If you like yeah. the work that you're putting out there, then it's easy for you to walk in the room and appear that you like the work. It's just about being comfortable being yourself at that point, which is incredibly difficult for 99.9% .9 of humanity, but I can help you. Yeah. And, you know, and that's something that I'm guilty of. I mean, I, I you know, I tend to get down after the 10th time, right? And you start to, but you're yeah. right. And, 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 I've, and, I, and I do, I have talked to my teams in the past about it. It's like, you have to be, you have to get excited about the fact that you just came up with the idea and that you right. wrote it down and we got it on paper. And that is the work, right? And that is the work. And you, and you have to be excited. Like you said, I thought of an idea with a, with a wombat and a, and a jetpack and it was awesome. They didn't, they didn't buy it and it didn't come to life, but I still had that idea. And I wrote, and it's hard because as I talk about in the book, right, this idea of creative capital, you know, yeah. anytime you're coming up with ideas, you're kind of using that creative capital. And one of the ways to, you know, build up the coffers again is when your idea happens and it doesn't always yeah. happen. Right. And, and it can be, especially us creative types, we can be sensitive and, and we love this, you know, we love, we love what we do, but it's, it's hard when you don't see your ideas come to life. But yeah, I agree with you. And it's something it, that I got to take to heart because I sometimes get down when things don't happen, you know? I mean, it is, it's very hard and, and stepping us out of the, the presentation arena for a second, just talking about being a CD and, and leading teams. There are times where the best thing I can do is take a team off a project. They're mm. completely burnt and they can't find that excitement anymore. Or I'll be careful to make sure that if they're on a, a client or a project that I know is a bit of a grind, that they're on another one that fuels that, that creative drive and they right. feel like they're, they're winning somewhere. Yeah. Because yeah. I I'm, I'm aware of that. And, and I love what you described about creative capital. And I've always thought about it almost as a, a, a emotional kind of, of, you know, I get paid to write words for a living and for some reason they're all leaving me right now. I couldn't think of Pulp Fiction <laughs> and now I can't think of inertia. There we are. An inertia. emotional inertia where yeah. you're, you're excited when everything's getting made and then it seems like you're moving at the speed of light. Well, when that stops, you feel like you're, you're staying in one spot or even moving backwards. So I think even if something is hard in one spot, if you can give them a nudge somewhere else, they can maintain right. some of that emotional inertia, some of that creative capital. And, yeah. and you can balance the scales of it. Awesome. Well, I mean, this has been an incredible first uh, master ca cast, Ben. I'm, I'm so thankful. What, what's next for you and, and sell it great? I mean, what, what are you, you know, what, what's on the horizon for, for you and your work that you're doing? There's going to be a, a new offering coming out, a, a little bit of a, a joint project that I'm working on with somebody. I don't know if I can say much more than that right now, so I'll keep it very it's mysterious. Okay. And let me know, let me know though. So I can uh, re repost with that, with that update. Absolutely. When you, when you can, Absolutely. when you can say, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and other than that, if you are thinking of coaching, I, I do it on a semester basis. So I've, I have been more than booked for this first quarter, but the second yeah. class still has some openings and that'll start probably around mid April. So if, if and you where, were where inspired can... by anything you heard here. Man, I can't imagine people people aren't. Where and where can people find more information about that? They can always find me on LinkedIn at Sell It Great or sellitgreat.com 
if anybody still goes to websites. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody still uses that, that the, the internet. Yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you so much, man. I think that this has been just uh, amazing. I know that I'm walking away uh, with a lot of useful information. And again, that's my, that's my goal for this year is to give people really actionable things that, that they can, you know, apply right away. And pitching is not going away, you know, and, and, and we got to get better at it. We got to get, we got to get, you know, smarter about it. We have to get more thoughtful about it. And I think that um, this Mastercast gives people a lot of of, uh, things to think about and to, you know, hopefully start implementing some of these things. So thanks again, Ben. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was fantastic. All right. Keep in touch. We'll talk soon. Talk soon, buddy. Okay. Take care. Bye. And there you have it, folks. The very first Mastercast episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the books. Thanks to my very special guest, Ben Levy from Sell It great. I hope you guys took copious notes. I know I'm feeling uh, inspired and and better prepared for the next time that I have to do a pitch. So I hope you guys took lots of notes. I thought that was a great episode. Thank you so much, Ben, for sharing your wisdom uh, with us. Speaking of wisdom, I've compiled a little bit of of my own. Uh, This is my book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. It's available on Amazon. Uh, Pick it up. Check it out. See what you think. Uh, It's chock full of lots of great things that you're going to need to know as you move into the role of creative director. So do yourself a favor. Pick it up. uh, Leave me a review on Amazon. It's got five stars right now. So there you go. Uh, Check that out. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, tell your friends about uh, Confessions of a Creative Director and to follow me on LinkedIn. We're really on a mission to try to bring up the next generation of kick-ass creative directors. So if you'd be so kind to subscribe and follow. And uh, yeah, we're on a mission. So again, until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See ya. Yeah.